Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How are you, Jody? I'm doing all right, except for my shin. I've got a shin splint, which sucks ass. You're you're hopeless, man. Just, <laughs> it's just injuries upon injuries. It, well, it's, it's uh, re-injuring itself. I've had to do some more matches. Fortunately, I'm winning all these matches, which is great. It's just a little bit painful in the process at the moment. Mm, well, stupid yeah. pickleball. There you go. Right. <laughs> you got anything on the talk back today? Yes. A few weeks ago, when we were talking about DAWs and yeah. console plugins of that nature, I mentioned the possibility of the Harrison Mix Bus being one of those items that would impart a sound to your mix just for it, the it, sheer fact that they, marketing people there, say that that's what it does. Yeah. The unfortunate mm-hmm. reality is it's all BS. And Harrison has been called out on it by several people, but they mm-hmm. haven't changed the marketing speak. So that's unfortunate. To be perfectly clear, we're talking about not the DAW itself now, actually, but definitely the plugin that they claim is the console plugin and it's the modeled every component of the the console and the exact, but several people have checked this out and it's actually kind of funny if it wasn't so sad that <laughs> it's completely linear and it's just like, it's all digital sounding stuff. There's no mojo or secret sauce added to it. So it's, uh, it has issues that are all directly related to being a straight up algorithmic mathematical thing, not something that they have modeled. Right. Which is if you're, weird. You know, if you're really interested in this, just YouTube and do a search for Harrison Mixbus and Dan Worrell. And <laughs> that guy Dan is Worrell very complete mention- with it because it's an hour long. Yeah. I think. And there's a guy that really knows his stuff. He's not one of those that just like calling out stuff or attention. He knows his stuff. Yeah. It's one of those things. And it, the thing that really is unfortunate about it, I think, is that they're marketing it for somebody that wants to presumably have this sort of analog sound. Of the Harrison, right? for that matter. Right, right. And you're not getting it. If you're buying it, you're not getting it. So it's just Oops. a strict marketing ploy. And at best, it's a miscommunication. At worst, it's just outright lying. And that's not cool. But, sad, uh, sad, sad. But that's not what we're here to rail about. We are here to expound upon the concept of compressors versus limiters. Right. What's the difference? Well, first of all, is there a difference? And if there is, is why and how do we apply it and all that kind of thing. So what is to you, Jody, the first difference between compressors and limiter? The ratio of how quick it's clamping down on a sound. Yeah. You mm-hmm. go the ratio. And what kind of a ratio are you talking about here? Because I know I have a value in mind, but what for you? At least 30 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. At least. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I'd kind of think about that or or higher. Right? Yes. So maybe Obviously, the higher it goes when you go to 40, yeah. 50, 60, 100 to 1, you're definitely limiting at that point. You'd be like Gandalf. You shall not pass. All right, Sparky, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is, let's say that just at even 30 to 1, 
Mm-hmm. Right. So once you reach the, reach the threshold of the input, you would need an extra 30 dB to get an extra dB of volume out of it. Right now, that's pretty drastic. Very Obviously, drastic. If you have 50, it's, for all intents and purposes, you're limiting. To me, it's anything above 30 to 1. Mm-hmm. That's the simple answer, right? There's a little bit more of a nuanced answer, and that's in the application of what it is. Are we really applying compression or are we limiting? Right. When you're using a compressor, what, what are you really thinking about? The idea of the dynamics on an individual piece's parts or the submix bus of said piece's parts. Sometimes I'll use compression on both areas. Not always, but sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if an individual track is in need of a little bit of dynamic control, I will use a compressor there. If the bus needs it on top of that, I will use it there. But Can you as give a an limiter, example of that? My where best example where I'm using it both times on just yeah. the individual track and the bus, generally speaking, vocals. And on top of doing that, I will also ride the vocal fader as well. So yeah. I do a lot of manipulation there in that sense. Yeah. But I don't compress a lot on each one of those, if that makes any sense. Sure. I mean, we've we talked about it in the past, but let, let's drill down a little bit on that. So let's say that you have, let's say, a lead vocal, uh-huh. the individual track, and then you're going to end up at a vocal bus later, right? Am I correct in assuming that the first step that you do is like you, before you apply any kind of compression, is like you're, you're doing a volume ride on those to get the performance as even as possible from a level standpoint? It will depend on how drastic the performance is, whether I would ride it into the compressor on the channel strip first. Okay, and what would that depend on for you? Somebody who is being extremely quiet to extremely loud and everything in between, that would require riding into the compressor in the first place. If it's Mm -hmm. relatively normal throughout, then I'm not going to ride it into the compressor, but I'm going to have the first compressor taking just a couple of dB max off of the loudest parts. Catching the peaks there? Catching the peaks mainly, and then doing the ride after that into the bus, and then the bus compressor takes a little bit more of a couple more dB off. Thus, it is series compression along with a vocal ride in there. Mm. Okay. On the first instant there on the vocal, what type of compressor do you favor? What what do you kind of go with first? LA2. Yeah? Yeah. And on the on the bus? Mm, it's a toss-up. Usually for vocals, it's going to be either another LA2 or maybe a Fairchild. Okay. So and then if it's pretty- something that requires a little bit more edge to it, I'll probably use the 1176. On the bus or on the individual? Usually on the bus more than the individual. Okay. So I'm the exact opposite. I, I would <laughs> go with that 1176 style compressor first on the individual tracks. And then on my vocal bus, I would do a LA-2A just to kind of smooth it out a little bit. Well, you're just dead wrong. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Fight me, buddy. Fight me. <laughs> this is the hill I die upon. Right. Um, but there's the, the application. Another thing for me where... 
I do the same on vocals, by the way. The vocal ride thing is to just make sure that the initial compressor is behaving in the way I want. Because if you have a really dynamic performance, and that can be by design, right? You mm -hmm. might have a, a lot softer verse and, and the singer's projecting a lot more in the chorus, for example. To have a threshold there that's going to work for both, both instances is not going to be easy and it, you're usually compromising at that point. Right. Therefore, I just ran into that with the mix yesterday, so. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Was it one of yours or somebody else's? Uh, it was one of mine that was recorded a while back that's being remixed for a new situation. And it was an obvious difference between two sections of the verse. And it was like, oh, crap. And as I brought up the quieter part, it became too intimate. And too oh, loud, okay. so I had to back it off a bit to try and figure out the balance on that. And that's an instance of where you have to have a little bit of compression going, a little bit of volume ride, and then working it on the bus a little bit so you don't lose the value of the vocal. But you, this is applicable to any instrument other than vocal as well. It's just a matter of vocals seem to be the most common form of multiple pieces of things getting involved. The other obvious thing for me, at least, is drums, right? Where you might have some form of compression on the drum bus, right. but you're still compressing individual elements, perhaps, like kick and snare, and or at least shell pieces, sure. right? That's the compression part of it, or part of the application. Mm -hmm. We talked about how we're applying the compression, but we're going for a sound here. Or at least I'm thinking of a sound like it's not like we're just using the limiter thinking where it's like, no, nothing is going to get past this point. We're, we're imparting something that is going to sound pleasing. And presumably why you're using an LA-2A is because you like that sort of uh, creaminess that it, it can impart on the vocal oh, yeah. or any kind of adjective like that. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that to get the sound of what an LA-2A is in the same thing for, you know, 1176, right? Mm -hmm. Where we tend to think about how they can sound kind of punchy or whatever, but they're used on percussion, that type of thing. So we're imparting, besides controlling the dynamics, we're making it sound a certain way as well. If you're using right? an emulation unit. Yeah, but I would go even further than that, though, because even if we are using like an emulation of, of the pieces that we're talking about, even your sort of stock linear compressor that might come with your DAW, like for the Logic ones, the, the Logic one actually has a few air quote emulations in it. But even the standard sort of linear compressor, you're affecting the sound in a way that you're not just controlling peaks. Right. So as long as you're using or paying some attention to really to your attack and release settings, you are perhaps elongating a snare hit by having a slower release or whatever, right? So even if it's not in analog emulation, you're still kind of squeezing the sound and making it sound different, not just controlling the peaks. Mm -hmm. And with a limiter in comparison, and you can use it on individual things, although it probably is more style dependent in that regard. Sure. The limiter is like a bouncer at a club. Yep. And essentially it's telling the sound that goes over the threshold that you set, sorry, this is as far as you go. 
and right. no louder. What you do when you slam something into a limiter or just run it through a limiter in that regard is lopping things off in a sense. And it can change the sound in a different way that doesn't react the same way as a compressor, mainly because it's acting a lot faster. <laughs> it's the yeah. general terminology on that. Absolutely. Now, one more thing that we should touch on there, I think, is technically, you know, we talked about adding color with an 1176 or an LA-2A. An LA-2A can actually behave as a limiter mm -hmm. in that it has 100 to 1 ratio when, when in limiter mode. So that's nothing's getting passed there, right? Right. But, but you're still getting a little bit of the coloration from just the very nature of the LA-2A, right? Mm -hmm. Even other analog style compressors really, but like the distressor, if you go into like nuke mode, like, yeah, nothing's getting passed there, you know? <laughs> but yeah. although the distressor can be both really aggressive sounding or transparent, depending on how you're driving it, there is an element of limiting there. And I would say even still with the 1176, with like the all buttons in is, mm -hmm. we're essentially limiting stuff, but, and 1176 is, at least to my ears, is not a transparent thing, right? You still have that bouncer, but now the bouncer is angry. He is going <laughs> to impart something, right? Slap you back down in a hurry. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of things that we should do in a hurry, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to move on talking a little bit more about limiters right now and how they should technically be transparent, even though we were just saying you've got some options in the compression world that can impart color. What is the job of the limiter, Chris? Well, to me, it's to control errand peaks. Uh -huh. Let's say, for example, I have it on the master bus. It's a common thing that most people do and, and has to be said. A lot of people seem to confuse that with mastering. That's not what that is. But if you have it on the master bus, I, I want to make sure that I'm not going to get any weird peaks uh -huh. coming through. I was like, no, this is the level. This is the maximum level where, where it's going to get. To me, I want that process to be as transparent as possible, at least in most cases. There are cases where, you know, we don't necessarily want it to be super transparent, but can you think of any of those like when you're using it and you're actually trying to get a sound out of a limiter as opposed to just making shit louder? <laughs> <laughs> what other reason is there for a limiter other than to make shit louder? The idea behind that, and I used to do it a lot more than I do now, was using the L2 from Waves. Where I yeah, would just one. slam yeah. things into the L2 because it would stop stuff at a certain point. I don't do that so much anymore. But I can understand certain genres actually do that so that you can hear every little nuance that's actually going on that would otherwise get lost in a mix. And if you really want it to be there, it's a lot easier to get it in things like metal or EDM with a limiter than straight up compression. I think especially you, you're bringing up metal there. Let's say on a drum bus again, we'll go back to that. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon that you might use a limiter on the drum bus just to really, really take those peaks and to be able to push that and, and kind of get even more energy out of it. Right. But EDM or, or metal, not necessarily what I would describe as like natural sounding. 
right? It's all about hype and and making that part of the soundscape. So we're well, we not gotta going throw the, bro country into that too. Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, those are just things on top of my head where it's like we're not going for a natural feel of things. In, in a lot of cases, it's all about the hype and the feel and, and just aggressive. Mm-hmm. So there, it kind of works. I'm not sure about you, but is that something that you do using a limiter anymore? I mean, or hyping? yeah, I mean, in that way, or or even like, do you, how often do you use limiting in your productions? I'm gonna. I'm sitting here shaking my head. I don't. Yeah, because I'm with you. I really don't either. It's very rare. It's the, the case where I might throw it on the master bus would be, you know, if I'm sending a mix to a client and they go, oh, it's so low. It's not, you know, okay, here you go. It, it, crank the crap out of it for you. I don't do it because usually I don't master my own stuff. Mm-hmm. So I leave all that kind of stuff off my my master bus. I use some compression, but not limiting. So it's not something that I do a whole lot, unless the aforementioned metal production, and I might throw some on the drum bus. But it's not common for me at all to kind of do it. Unless I'm going for a very specific sound design element, I'm Mm -hmm. generally not using limiting anymore on individual tracks. Sure, yeah. In terms of the way I do mixing right now, I don't use limiting on any of the buses that go out okay. to the master. Now, when I'm mastering stuff, that's a different story. Of course, I'm using limiting there. Sure. But yeah. that's a whole different ball of wax right there from the mix. Right. Let's say, just to twist your arm, can you come up with a case where you might use a limiter as opposed to a compressor or even let's say even if you have like a, a distressor in like nuke mode which i did on, do the other day and what was that on bass oh interesting okay mm-hmm. the bass was a little bit overly dynamic and throwing it into nuke mode helped it out that's the best way of saying it took to care of that yeah. took care of it and i didn't have to do a lot of extra stuff and that's one of the beauties of using the distressor you can nuke things without it generally sounding nuked. Nuked? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy how that compressor can be, you know, so aggressive and transparent at the same time Mm -hmm. in the same box. Yes. You know, if you twist my arm, I would maybe use it on a percussion track or something, like as a limiting type of a thing if it's, overly dynamic and I want that to be present. So then my, my thinking is very similar to that metal drum kit. I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that it's even enough and squashed enough to, to be present in, it, it would have to be a really dense mix for it to be able to be noticed. Sure. One of the things in terms of how people do things on their master mix bus, I know you like to use compression. I, I use a little bit of compression, yeah. For me, I don't, and it has a lot to do with the way I do outputs. The individual buses for all the stems would have compression, but it's almost as if I'm treating it like I'm going to a master bus for music and a master bus for vocals, which I don't really do so much anymore because everything is stems. And then each one of those individual stems has that 
little bit of compression, but I'm doing it for a different reason other than just saying, hey, I'm trying to make this loud. Mm. Whereas with going into the mastering phase, every version of the stem or the mix is getting based off of the actual full mix. So all the subsequent tracks get the same settings as the full mix, but they're never really going to be bouncing into everything else like the full mix does, if that makes any mm. sense. It's almost like it's there for the mojo, but it's not there for anything else. Mm. But, but that's an interesting point as well though, for the mojo there, right? Because there are functionalities like, let's say the 1176, for example, mm -hmm. where you can actually turn off the processing or the compression, I should say. Yep just to import the sound of the box. Yep. Right, so you're not applying any dynamics, but you're, you're getting that little extra crunch. Is that something that you experiment with or have you experimented with and do you do it today? Part of my mastering change actually has that functionality, not with the 1176, but with the Manly Very MU. Mm. I'm running the mix through that, but not imparting any compression using it. Yeah, it's okay. set in a way that it's just running through the box, and that's it. And it's just yeah. for the box mojo, muju, juju, whatever. Before yeah. it goes into the next step, which is the limiter that I use on mastering the isotope maximizer. That's the manly very mu that you're doing that with to just import the sound. Because that's funny. Because I tend to do that every once in a while with the. Slate version as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the the Slate version is, because it looks like a Fairchild, but I could be wrong. Somebody correct me if I am. I think it's not a straight up Fairchild, right. but a cross between that and, the, and the, the Manly. I could be wrong, but I do that sometimes too, because it adds a nice bump somewhere in the mid-range mm -hmm. to just bring out some clarity. No, again, no gain reduction but it's just there for the sound of it. Sure. And sometimes that can actually be a little bit too much. So that's why I don't use it all the time. But uh, sometimes it can be just like, ooh, that sounds exciting. How, what's going on there? You know, so right. that's be a case where I leave that in. We've talked about different units here, but do you have a favorite compressor that you like to use? It's a toss up between the LA2 and the Fairchild. Yeah. And it's more dependent upon my mood and the instrumentation because for certain instruments, I have a certain preference. Like drums, right now my favorite compressor on the drum bus is the 175B. And if I need something a little more snappy, I'm likely to go with the 33609 by Neve. Mm. It's really more dependent upon instrument and mood. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'm about the same way. I do like both an 1176 or an LA-2A. Mm -hmm. depending, again, on, on the application here, right? If I were smarter than I am, I, I would probably just say the distressor because <laughs> you can do all of that. And uh, I know I mentioned in the past, but every time I load up a distressor, I'm like, why do I not use this more often? I say the same thing all the time, and it just automatically goes to like an 1176 or whatever. But Silly. I guess I know. Old habits die hard. I suppose if I had to pick just one compressor, it would probably be the distressor because it is so flexible. Mm -hmm. What about limiters then? Do you have a favorite limiter? I'm going to go with the all buttons mode on an 1176 or the distressor in nuke mode when it comes to doing things in mixes. 
Mm-hmm. When it comes and that's to, just because you want the sound of that? Then, yes. Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In terms of mastering, it's the isotope maximizer. Okay. So you're not an L2 user anymore? Not for limiting, not on masters, not generally right. in mixes, but I stopped using all of the wave stuff altogether. Yeah. Okay. I'm the same way. I don't use, like, well, I just profess here, I don't use a whole lot of limiting. But if I were to do it, I actually like the, the Logic stock limiter. Mm-hmm. I think it sounds transparent enough. It, it does what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Right. If I want something else, I like the isotope stuff as well. The vintage limiter, I like a lot. That does that. Again, I don't do a whole lot of limiting, but there you go. Well, and as you the, mentioned and asked, you you mentioned the L2, and that's Waves has the L series essentially is their limiter, and it's a very nice limiter. It's just I stopped using Waves a while back, and I haven't gone back to the situation of saying, "Hey, I need to use them." So, meh. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm not a Waves user. Well, I do have a few things, but not generally my first choice. That is, when you hear or you see people mixing and they're using a limiter, chances are you're going to see them using like an L1, 2, or a 3, right? So that is a popular choice, but... Uh, and moving on from all this compression and limiting, we're going to go with our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? Boy, what a week we had in the Mac universe, <laughs> didn't we, with the developers conference. So... I can't really narrow it down for a Friday find. I'm just going to go with a whole new line of Macs that are coming out. For people that a few years ago were claiming that Apple had abandoned the pro market and were just focused on iPhones, eat your words, man. How does that crow taste? Because the <laughs> new machines are crazy, crazy powerful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm just going to throw in the towel and say that the entire Mac line are just coming out. What about you? I'm going very specifically with the new Mac Studio M2 Ultra. Mm-hmm. And in terms of music recording, this is not for video. I'm looking at the base model, the 24-core CPU is 60-core GPU. Oh, and tossing up between 64 or 128 gigabytes of RAM. That machine just looks so incredible at this point. It's nuts. So I'm going with the Max Studio M2 Ultra, not the M2 Max, but the M2 Ultra. As much as I would love to go for the Mac Pro, I'm realizing at this point it's not so much an audio machine as it is straight-up video machine. And even the higher valued M2 Ultra Max Studio only gets you 16 more cores of GPU and the price to get those extra 16 cores is rather extravagant. I don't see that need in terms of audio. The Max Studio M2 Ultra 60 core GPU is my choice. Very cool. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on said email list to be eligible for any future giveaways, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this 
incredible podcast, send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word limiting, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. 